you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. We are on the road today, and we're in Dave Meltzer's studio and here at Sports One Marketing. How are you, David? I am awesome. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Like, this as we go through the background, like, join my team. <laughs> this is awesome. No, this place is great, man. This is, Ty knows I'm a big sports junkie. Like, my house, I have autographed jerseys everywhere. So, <laughs> I'm not kidding. You're surrounded by I'm it. a kid in a candy shop right now, just looking at all this stuff. It's funny you say that, because we have a lot of collectibles and different things around here that are really cool. But if somebody would have told me, even three years ago, that in the middle of my personal office upstairs, while Philip Rivers' jersey's here, because obviously I'm a Chargers fan, and my Medal of Honor's on this side, that I'd have a poster signed, number one of 500, crushing it, Gary V. That's the right? one. Like, That's the one. How is it? Like, yeah. I have Jim Brown, right? Yeah. I even have Marlon Briscoe out there. But, like, the world has changed that these entrepreneurs can be just as big as heroes. Yeah. It's That's crazy. That's really cool. It's a cool time for stuff like that. And, you know, we were speaking before we started recording that um, we run a sales force. And these worlds are very close. And um, the podcast is called Electric People, so we like to talk to people that are sending a pulse through their industry, that are the one standout. And so um, for our people that might not be familiar with your content, um, I was telling you that I've been going through the playbooks. That's a podcast that, that you run. Yeah. And, uh, man, you've had incredible guests. I just listened to the one that you did with uh, on Danica Patrick's um, podcast, which was incredible. Oh, um, so... Uh, for our, just for our listeners, so you're the CEO of Sports One Marketing, former CEO of uh, Lee Steinberg uh, Sports Agency. Yeah. What's the correlation with Jerry Maguire? So the true story is Cameron Crowe followed Lee around and based that movie, loosely based, off of Lee and his philosophy, right? His humanitarian. He's a Berkeley undergrad and law school valedictorian, you know, summa cum laude type of guy. But he's yeah. truly about a social change agent. And so that movie, that love story, and all the stuff that goes on is loosely tied to Lee. That's why Lee and Troy Aikman and Warren Moon and those guys are all in the movie, mm. uh, which is really... Lee's brilliance of how to brand things and be the first at so many different things that were really outside of being a sports agent. But his number one accolade I can give Lee, beyond caring for the clients and raising tons of money for philanthropy, is that he represented eight first picks in a row. Uh, and it can be a trivia question, but it's probably one of the feats in sports that will never be duplicated yeah. to have, represent eight first picks yeah, eight years incredible. in a row. When Pretty did incredible. it start? What was the first pick? Oh, you're hitting me. I think it was 86 and then went to 94. So he was so. like in the, I'm trying to think who would have been. This is the ultimate sports trivia question for me. 86 to 94? 86 to 94. Yeah, I mean, he started with, uh, what's his name from Atlanta, Barkowski in 78. Okay. But by 86, I think... Because uh, back then they even had defensive guys that would go one. So I think yeah. Bruce Smith was one of one oh. of them, right? And Thurman Thomas. Uh, I went there, and then Steve Young was one of the last ones. Hmm. Warren wasn't ever drafted, so he wasn't one. But Troy Aikman was one. Yep. Steve Young, um, who ended up going to the USFL, who actually like a couple of years ago just stopped getting paid 
on his guaranteed contract, that crazy contract. <laughs> Steve that Young did? did? Yeah. That's he had like amazing. a 20, it was a ridiculous contract that he got paid tons of money and then still made money playing for the Niners. That's amazing. That's Lee's genius. Well, you guys with your sports knowledge, I hope to get a word in. So let me just finish. <laughs> let, me, let me just no, finish No, let's go sales. I love sports, yeah. but I love sales. So <laughs> that, that's what I was going to get into. So you're also a top 100 business coach. You're a public speaker. You're an entrepreneur, uh, three-time best-selling author. You've kind of packed like three or four careers and lifetimes into your, what, 50 years of life? 52 now, yeah. So let's see how much of it we can fit into our 52 minutes together here. I love um, that. So one of the things that attracted us to you is um, your story. So I, I know you tell the story a lot, but uh, you didn't start, I mean, you mentioning these connections, you're sitting around all these signed gloves, footballs, pucks, everything. <laughs> But it's not like you were born into a life where football players were at your house and this yeah. was a this was a foregone conclusion. When I die, I want to come back as my nine-year-old because we were just discussing like as your nine-year-old, really, yeah, not my nine-year-old, nine-year-old, you. Not nine-year-old you me, don't yeah, no, not the kid, not kid in the country square station wagon with a bag dinner. No, yeah, I want to be my nine-year-old yes. sitting on the court at the Laker game. Yeah, that's right, a like good you were life. saying, catching passes from Warren Moon. Yeah, <laughs> no. So I grew up poor, and in my journey, really is around money. And it, and it still is because I believe money is a currency. It's an object of energy that we put into the flow. And I like what you guys are doing because when you say electric, you say currency, you say frequency. I live by vibration. And I was born, as I told you, with a happy gene. So I have a high frequency and I was always happy, but I was broke. Six kids, five boys, one girl, single mom with a lot of pride. She was a second grade teacher, came home, packed our dinners in a literally paper bag, and then went and filled greeting cards at the 7-Elevens convenience stores and told us we had to be doctors, lawyers, and f- or we're going to be failures. That's how I wow. grew up. It, but ironically, I told you earlier, I just wanted to be rich to buy my mom a house and a car because the only time I saw my mom crying or stressed was over finances. So in my head, I kept saying, man, money must buy happiness. That's the missing piece. And I felt as if I could make money. I was a born salesman. Right, I could sell ice to Eskimos when I was young. I was figuring out how to make money. I'd even make money by Christmas. I'm a Jewish kid, Christmas caroling because I have a horrible voice. I found out people <laughs> would pay me money just to leave. Like these are the things that I'm figuring out in my you're head. You're a middle child too, right? <laughs> right? So middle child, single mom, you're yeah. surviving. I'm surviving, yeah. and I love attention. Jewish kids singing Christmas carols. To make money. To make money. Exactly. Go. Leave me alone. It's amazing. <laughs> that's a gem, by the way, because I've never told that story. <laughs> we got um, an original. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional football player. I wish I was built like this. You know, I would say, what's your excuse, bro? Look at yeah. me. Um, <laughs> Southern Southern yeah. Utah, what's going on here? Yeah. I know. But literally, I after Christian Okoye ran me over my freshman year, I did get a scholarship to college. Christian ran me over. I literally, people think I'm joking. I was lying on my back after he stepped on me, and he's known as the Nigerian nightmare. In my head, I'm... Do you know who this guy is? <laughs> no, but he's I'm, sick. Right, I'm going to learn. The Nigerian hold on. nightmare. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Christian Okoye, Chiefs. So the hardest hitting safety in the NFL was a guy named Steve Atwater. Christian Okoye up the middle literally just trucks this guy. Like doesn't even phase him, like, runs through him, right? This and this Steve Atwater's 6'2", 230. <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yoked. That's like amazing. 8% body fat guy, right? Dave Meltzer and yoked 147. There it is. Yeah, I was no challenge. <laughs> With pads on. Yeah. <laughs> and this dude is 6'3", like 260. 260. Like, runs, runs a 4'5", four four. or whatever. Yeah. He did, yeah. He did have to move. No. So... That's when I realized, literally, I'm not going to be a professional. So initially, I was going to be a doctor. 
to make money. My older brother told me doctors had to be in hospitals. And I bring that up because today, one of the things in business, in sales especially, my brother told me, you idiot. You have to be more interested than interesting. How the heck are you pre-med and you didn't even talk to me, your brother? And I see that go on in professions all the time. People have all these great skills, knowledge, and desire, but they're not aligning it with the opportunities. They're going off of an 18-year-old perspective, especially today with Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. They have perceptions of things that just aren't true. And if they're a little bit interested, they could find something that makes a lot of money, helps a lot of people, and is a ton of fun, kind of like what you guys work in. People don't see that thing. And I try to stress, don't be like me when I was 18. So I literally got really interested. And my brother's like, what do you want to do with college? I said, I want to make a lot of money. He's like, what? I go, yeah, I want to learn how to make money. He goes, in college. He said, then learn about history, learn about English, learn about political science, learn how people, human nature works, because that's where you're going to make money. If you know what makes people tick. Then I went to law school to make money and I reverse engineered law school and said, oh, oil and gas litigators are the highest paid people out of law school. I went to Tulane for one reason. People think it was to drink and party, which was a great benefit. I went there because they had the top maritime law program. Most kids mm. that were hired into oil companies went to Tulane mm. and they made the most money. And it was by a lot. It wasn't, in my mind, I was gonna learn to love whatever I do. It's junior, second year in law school, I told God, recession. I had $100,000 alone upon me. I got offered a sales job and I said to God, I said, I will shovel shit with my hands six days a week, 12 hours a day. If you allow me to pay off my loans, law loans, and buy my mom a house in a car. I remember making the deal with God where I talk about toughness. And then all of a sudden I get this legal job that pays a ton of money. But because I'm driven by money, I'm always looking for a higher paying gig this new thing called the internet's out, this legal publisher that my professor worked for is like, dude, you can make so much money selling legal research online. The book sales guys make 250 a year. You can kill it, Dave. You're a born salesman and fired me up. I ended up out of 2,500 people getting the job, selling myself into the job, even though you're supposed to have four years of legal education. My mom told me the internet was a fad, don't do it be a lawyer. Fad. <laughs> yeah, so, which is an important lesson because I see so many people today too, they vote for what their moms want for them. Mm. Now I listen to my mom today. I take her advice. I usually let it fall through my hands like a grain of sand, but I listen and thank her. Hey, that's a great idea, mom, thanks. I appreciate you loving me and wanting from your second grade teacher perspective, me to have your business advice. Mm -hmm. But I'm voting for what I want. Yeah. I'm going to the internet. I know I can sell and boom. I took, took it to the street and I outworked everyone with hours, with efficiency and statistical success. So the job here is, I have to remember a time like pre-internet pre as we know it, right? Pre-internet, pre-phone, so like no Internet cell Explorer, is that what people are using? Netscape, Navigator, Netscape, yeah. Netscape, so, XT computers, 286 XT computers, 9600 bowed dial-up modems, 9600. So there's not a place you, this was a world before there was research, so you did the hard work, like going through books, compiling research, and hosted it online or sold it to. They took the books, scanned it. them onto like big NCR servers <clears throat> in a mountain in Minnesota. This is how far back I went to the Supreme Court to sell legal research online. I met Justice Scalia, and he told me straight out, "Son, you need to do research in books. There's no way you can do research on a computer. This is not for the Supreme Court." 
And now I met him years later, and I told him that story, and he goes, you don't tell anyone that story, do you? Oh, he's passed already. I'm still telling everyone. This is how little people knew. Yeah. My mom literally, I, I literally, you, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. I had to really reach into like an imagination to say, this internet, I really think it's gonna be big. And at that time, a lot of people thought it was like Twitter when Twitter came I out, see. which may yeah. be for you. Like, who would ever do that? And now, or Amazon, right? A bookstore in a garage, that's or never Yelp. Work. Like, who would tell people how their burrito was? Or even know? Uber. Like, yeah. I remember people, when Uber was in Europe, oh, this would never work in America. Yeah, you're just gonna get in some stranger's car and ride around with them? <laughs> right. After you've been- Let alone Airbnb and those. Yeah. So well, anyway, go ahead. So you, so, you're, do, you're on this path and then you hit it big at one point, right? Nine months, so. nine months out of law school, I made a million dollars. I laugh because they gave me all these awards as you guys do in your company for great sales. Yep. But I wasn't really a good salesman yet. I was a natural salesperson, but a where hard I got- worker. A smart worker and hard worker. So what I did, I joked around, but I created this power of 64. I was gonna work twice as many hours twice as efficiently and twice as statistically successful. One blessing I had in my life is that Tony Gwynn, when I moved to San Diego, owned with Alan Trammell the San Diego School of Baseball. And he would sit in the batting cage part in the school that literally I got to go to, and he'd watch on a Betamax VCR with a monochrome, like he'd watch the pitcher where they release again and again. And I'm like, wow, the greatest hitter that I'd ever met just sits there and literally studies what he's doing. Mm. So I got this little like eight millimeter camera and I'd video my sales stuff. Like I'd video myself in the old days. So I beat people, I called it eight times, you know, eight plus eight for 16 hours, plus twice as efficient would make it 32 hours, plus twice as statistically successful. I would do 64 hour days, seven days a week. I shifted my paradigm. People would say work, I said, no, activity I get paid for. I'm focused, there is no work in my mind. I love what I do and taught myself to do it, but I'm gonna have activity I get paid for 64 hours a day, seven days a week. So when I made a million bucks and they gave me all those awards and bonuses and trophies and all that stuff, I'm like, I didn't even hit comp plan. They're like, your comp plan was 250, you made a million dollars. I said, yeah, but I worked 10 years. And I did, I was productive 10 years in nine months. And I carried that the rest of my career, yeah. that I was gonna outsmart people, I was gonna outproduce people, which led to at 52, what I call productive, accessible, productive accessibility and gratitude are the lens, the Meltzer kaleidoscope, the lenses I look at all of my calendar with, what I do in plan, what I don't do, and sleep. And it's changed my life. The, beating people with math is my game. Especially awesome. in sales. Well, and if you think about it, because our guys, they're, it, it's a math game. It's direct sales, right? So in some ways, it's really artful because you're going out and creating sales. You don't know who you're, you don't know what tools you're going to get as far as people's background situation. And you have to make a sale out of it, right? But we know the statistics. We know how many like qualified customers it takes to get a yes. We know how many like hours it takes to find a certain amount of qualified people. So what I love about your take is I hope people are doing the math and saying, okay, if I prospect for five hours a day, just five hours, okay, and I find four qualified people per hour, and my ratio is one in three, whatever, okay, this is how many hours I need, and if I got twice as good at selling, I could literally have two or three days in one. And then you just follow the program, you don't have to stress out about the And result. you'll get better at it as you follow it, so it even- Your ratios get better. Your ratios yeah. get better, and you're like, whoa, this, I have a realtor that I, I do executive coaching, kid was almost bankrupt, 
and he wanted to make a million dollars. And I said, well, how many doors are you knocking on? He said, zero. I said, what? Well, you can't make a million dollars knocking on zero doors. I said, you got to learn two questions, a series of questions to ask how you can be of service of value, and a series of questions, do you know anybody that can help me? And the best way and statistically successful way is to knock on somebody's door. I go, how many people are you going to need to talk to in order to get three listings a month? Because that's what it takes in Newport Beach to be a millionaire. And he's like, I don't know. I go, figure it out. He said, a thousand. I said, that's 50. Every day, seven days a week, you're gonna knock on 50 doors. And I'm gonna teach you the questions and series of questions to ask to be more statistically successful. Mm. $3 million is what he makes now, three years later. Wow. And guess what? Every day of his life, he knocks on 50 doors. You know, it's interesting because door to door is a challenging job, right? And it messes with your ego, it messes with your pride. It's just, it can break down the strongest person. And um, a lot of, direct sellers, direct sales guys, it's like their goal is to figure out how to not knock anymore. Right. You hear guys talk about this all the time where they're like, how, how do I, I get, get off, off the doors? How do I do this? They, they try to be smarter than the industry. Instead and, of learning the and we're And we're just saying, there's no better place to sell a product for someone's home than at their home than at their home, Hello. right? That's why we and love Amazon. It just shows up. Well, have you guys heard yeah. the Home Depot story? Because this is one that you know, I train your sales force right away. Home Depot has four checkouts. Mm -hmm. Garden, Normal, the Pro Contractor, and Self. The number one sale of warranty, which is just like Best Buy, they sell warranty for tools and barbecues, you know, the two or three year extra, it's nice upsell. The number one salesperson there, guess what checkout it is? Self-checkout. Why? Because the consumer's making the decision themselves. Because it asks it every time. It, it asks, asks it every, every time. Right. It just, statistically, just it just computer. says, would you like a warranty? Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not, and most people are afraid to ask every time. That's why if you could get your employees with their personalities to ask every time, do you know those new aggravating credit card machines that they turn on you when you're doing a takeout at the pokey? Mm -hmm. and ask at 10, 20, 30? Yes. Tips are up 1,100% just because the thing asks you. You kind of feel guilty time. to say no, even though he's I like, pick up more, no, I pick more up my kid a, I pick up my kid a pizza every Monday and Wednesday night. I pick it up from gymnastics. I pick up a small pizza, and I tip 15% every <laughs> single time. Me too. And I'm picking it up at the And the guys are getting taken. Yeah, because it's asking. <laughs> yeah. You know what? When you're at that door, and what I love about solar as a service, right? It's cost and value justified. It's just math. Right. right? Mm -hmm. It's a matter of asking and being able to get the attention. What I, what I say, getting the measurements, we all been custom tailored before. And I always joke around, I go, don't let that guy take my measurements. They're like, why? I go, because I don't want a new suit. And the minute he takes his measurements, I bought a new suit. Yeah. Just like a financial planner. <laughs> yeah, the minute you fill out all the paper yeah, stuff, your, your background, yeah, you're buying an IUL or an annuity or yes. some other product. Yeah. In your business, you've got to teach these guys to knock on doors and take the measurements because the math is so strong in the solar business right now. And it's only going to get better. If you can't sell solar, you can't sell. Mm-hmm. Like literally, because you literally have a value justified business case if you articulate it correctly. That the magic of sales, can you see any reason you won't want to move forward? You should be saying that 25 times a day in solar. But if you're not calling people, if you're not knocking on doors, if you're not asking people that you meet on the subway, hey, do you know what can help me? I sell solar. I can save at least you know, 50% off their, their energy bill and provide more value to the home in a resale situation, whatever th those are, right? Yeah. Boom, boom. And I, I, I see solar guys all the time, like, you're not asking, bro. <laughs> yeah. 
The crazy thing is the things that you've said, uh, you've never sold solar, but you tell you're a born salesperson. It's not, they spend so much time worrying about what to say that they don't say it that much. <laughs> it's not, it's not about, yeah, you said, do you know anyone that can help me? Man, that's vulnerable. It's, it doesn't feel powerful. It's not silver tongue. But if you say it enough times, hey, you, you know anyone that can help me? I sell this product. It's awesome. I just don't have a link to this community. If you do it five, six, seven, eight times, right? Well, it's, I, I would get asked. I would get asked. I I would get a lot of referrals when I'm selling, and people ask this, and I'm sure you're the same. It's like people ask all the time, "How do you get someone your referrals?" I'm like, I just ask for them every single sell, every single sell, and most guys don't ask for them every single sell, you know. Well, how about asking the guy that you know can help you himself and saying, "Hey, do you know anyone can help me?" And most people love to help. It's an ego thing. They love to, and oh, hold on. I know someone, me. Yeah, you can do it for Dude, me. Dude, I, I have a house. I, I'd love to, to know yeah. more about that. Mm -hmm. But it's so soft, right? And on the other side too, hey, a series of questions. Start with an open-end question. Hey, tell me what you're doing today. You know, what's your electric bill? Oh, how do you feel about that? You like that? Do you don't like that? Oh, you know, why do you think it's what so high? What options do you, you have? You get it, and, and then you're moving to, you know, is there any way I can help you? Do you? You know, like literally, any way I can be of service? Oh, yeah, I know. And it, literally, it moves to, to the other side of sure. it. You can help me. And then after you get a sale, do you know what else can help me? Taking measurements. I've never yeah. heard it called that, but I yeah, like that. Yeah, those custom tailor guys well, give it time. Well, it's, it's very applicable to the job because the first step of our process is literally taking measurements of the home. They're getting pictures of the meter on the home, getting pictures I'm of the I'm a customer, man. I think you guys were the ones so we who just, sold me, so I we, get it. <laughs> we always just kind of say like, hey, we're just kind of like the scout. Like, we're just seeing which homes qualify. You know, yeah. that's almost how you start it. When, when your sales guy asked me, and I said, oh, it was 1400 I spent 1400 a month on electricity. His eyes are like this. Oh, yeah. Right? We teach him to try to level off those eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, no. 1400 a month, mm. that's hard. Yeah. yeah. It was six people in my family, <laughs> and you know they like the air conditioning on in the winter and the summer. Yeah. So, um, But moving back to this money issue, right? I've always been a math and money person, and I make this million dollars. And the worst thing that happened to me is that I truly, in my mind, thought that I was my mom's favorite child. So as a middle child... Siblings go to Harvard, Penn, Columbia, summa cum laude, super successful. I was able to buy my mom a house in a car. And in my sick mind at that time, I'm like, my mom loves me the most. Everybody loves me. I'm so successful and popular. And so I'm driven now to define myself by how much money I can make. I go to the Silicon Valley, make even more money, learn how to raise money, which I always earlier told you is the number one superpower you can have on earth. If you know how to raise money for charity or for business, you'll never starve. Like literally, you do whatever you want if you know how to do that. Because raising money is like the su superior end of selling, mm. right? Just to be able to prospectively on a vision take That's someone's money. Say, it's pure vision, right? It's not like I'm going to give you a product. It's let me tell you a story exactly. and then let me get your heart. It's and let so easy, man. I could train your seven thousand sales reps to like do math. <laughs> we ought like, to just do a contest like Meltzer versus the industry and just see how it goes. And they'll be like, "Do you want him to train?" Well, me? I always I calculate on top of that because after I lost everything, which I'll get to, I started the energetic side where like, you know, I actually create no resistance in my life through energy. You know, I'll actually close my eyes when I cold call, and I still will cold call anywhere for anybody and show them. I'll receive no resistance. This will be resistance free. I'll, and like, you'll take a sales rep that's like, I cannot get a hold of this guy. And I will be up right there and go, watch me get him. No way. He has not answered. And I'll shift my energy, allow the flow of the universe to work in my favor beyond the statistical math. And hey, 
hi, th uh, this is Dave Meltzer. I've been trying to get a hold of you. Literally, and it freaks out my sales guys. Yeah, that's, that, that, I guess But it's, why. it's energetic, yeah. Um, but I learned, you know, th this relationship with money, and I learned about money, and I love, love money for the wrong reasons. I really believed it bought me money and love. It actually, I was engaged to a super wealthy girl in law school. This is how money-driven I am. Um, and I don't tell this story very often, but I got engaged to a girl who was beautiful and nice, and she was successful, but she was rich. And it was like, why would I get engaged at 25 Right, and why did I break it off when all of a sudden I was rich? Because I, and I'm being honest with myself at 52. Mm -hmm. A lot had to do with, I was seeking that security of money. I was identifying, defining, and I ended up, you know, thank goodness breaking up with her uh, and marrying my dream girl from the fourth grade. And in my sick mind again, she was only marrying me because I had money. Right, and, and this is all in my mind because I lost everything. My wife stayed with me, so I know that's not true. <laughs> you trace this all the way back to um, your mom, and there's more to it than that because you had a father that was in and out of your life. Yeah, and yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. So people ask me, so what? What happened was I became a multimillionaire, and I started surrounding myself with the wrong people, and I had. And I, two years after I went through what I call a quantum shift, a transformation in my life where I shifted the paradigm of money. Um, but before that, my dad, who at five left, he married beautiful stepmom, uh, closer to my age than his. I had a little crush on her. I don't usually say that either. I'm going to be all the good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're, we're, we're getting like unfiltered. We're, you know drama? Yeah, we're getting, yeah. yeah of if anyone, that's the only time I've ever told this stepmom story. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out, drama. But I had a crush on my stepmom. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and anyway, now I'm all flustered. I, uh, I love my dad, man. He was my hero. And back in the 70s, talk Isn't about... he a charismatic kind of like... Super salesman. Yeah. He Had he, nice things like... Nice things, that. handsome, better looking. He looks more like my nine-year-old son than like I do. He's just just a stud. And he uh, was my hero. And when I was 10, I, I, I felt so guilty. We talked about 1978. Like, you guys are so young. You're like, was it really racism in the NFL? And I was telling you the Warren Moon stories. You're like, really? Well... Worse was the way deadbeat dads could treat their wives. Really? You know, in the 70s, and this is before 78 now, when I was five, my dad didn't pay child support. Imagine, all those kids, and he's living rich, and I'm in the backseat of cars telling my mom, why can't you be more like dad? He's my hero. Heartbreaking, though. It was, right? oh, God. Well, I'm going to cry because at 10, my dad forgot my birthday. And it wasn't because he forgot my birthday that was that upsetting. It was when I asked him, how could you forget my birthday? And he said, oh, I didn't forget your birthday. I just don't believe in birthdays. Now, I'm a pretty sharp 10-year-old. I literally realized at that moment why my, he left my mom, because he's a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller, and back-end seller. Yeah, he was charismatic, but he's the shitty salesman. Mm. And guess what? I was not like him in my mind. I was nothing like my dad, I hated my dad. And when I was 30 years old, my dad sent me a birthday present, first time in 20 years. Beautiful blazer, custom blazer. I put it on immediately, start crying. My wife's looking at me, she's like, why are you crying? I go, oh my God, it fits me. He must've called you for my measurements or my mom. Like, my dad actually loves me. At like 30, so you're an adult and this is still- Still, oh yeah, I, would, I was trying to change my dad. I, I was getting in fights with him. I was competing with my dad all the time. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, my dad gets it. Like my dad, and so I looked though, I opened it, all the inside of the jacket was torn out. 
I was really pissed. So I call him. I was like, Dad, you gave me a birthday present I can't wear. He goes, it's not for wearing. I go, why would you send me a jacket not to wear? To remind you you're just like me. Go hang it in your closet. I was like, just like you, I'm nothing like you. You're an asshole. You're an overseller, back end seller, manipulator, liar. I'm nothing like you. He said, hang it in that closet, Dave. I'm worried about you. You're just like me. You're money driven. That jacket's gonna be the jacket you wear when you die. It's gonna, you can't take things with you when you're gone. You can't be the richest man in the cemetery. Don't make the same mistakes as I. Be a good father. Like he was, and all I could think of is, F you, man. I'm nothing like, and I did. I, I took me a while again to even talk to him. And the most critical time, uh, a best friend, the guy who in fourth grade asked my wife to go study, uh, asked her in front of everyone at sixth grade camp, I, I, in love with my wife. And she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. So You're threw, hiding around the corner. Yeah, right? I was hiding around the corner. <laughs> I threw an egg at her because she, he embarrassed me. I threw an egg at her. I called her ugly, threw rocks at her. No wonder she didn't date me, but. Yeah, that's weird, man. I don't know how, I don't know why I didn't go <laughs> yeah, yeah. Surprise, I'm a, I'm a romantic. <laughs> this guy though, I'm running Lee Steinberg. I'm surrounding myself with Troy Aikman, Warren Moon, Steve Young, going to Super Bowls and ridiculous stuff. And my best friend from the fourth grade is not hanging out with me. So I go golfing with him. I was like, dude, you gotta come to the Masters with me. You love golf. Let me take you to the Masters. We hang out with Chris Carter and Sh Shannon Sharp and all these killer guys. And he's like, I don't wanna hang out with you. I was like, why? He goes, I don't like who you hang out with. I'm like, well, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. And he said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. And man, I just literally still get choked up because it was so true. And I was just blinded by it. I was blinded by who I was surrounded, like what I had lost in my life. Two weeks later, I go to the Grammy Awards after lying to my wife. And I have this extraordinary wife. I you know, am literally sitting there changing clothes in the car, going with Little John to the Grammy Awards. Where did you tell her you were going? I told her a business meeting in Orange County yeah. by the, because we were at House like, of why, Blues why first. Why, why, why couldn't you take her? Because I was gonna do bad stuff. Right, like I was gonna drink and get high, and there's gonna be girls and, and strippers and everything yeah, that you yeah, get in that. Just, I was around that stuff all the time, and thank God I didn't cross the line. I have to say that because my teenage daughters watch this. Like, Dad, you make it sound like you cheated. I didn't, but I wasn't doing good stuff, right? There was strippers and like voyeur, like bad stuff, and and literally, I'm lying to my wife. I get home, 5:30 in the morning after lying, intoxicated and high. And she looks at me and says, I'm not happy. You're not a rock star. And my state of mind was, I'm not a rock star? I may not be, but I sure feel like one. And then she tells me, look, you better straighten up and take stock in who you are, because I'm leaving. And my initial reaction is, F you. Like, are you kidding me? Look around you. The nanny's over there. I've never not provided. You've never worked it. And you're going to tell me, because I went out and partied, that you're leaving me? And she's like, you don't get it. So I went to my room got pissed off even more, woke up even more pissed off, thinking what lawyer do I know? I'm gonna take everything that I've made away from her. I'm gonna take my kids. Uh, you know, this is the mindset I'm in. Yeah. And then man, I, as I was more pissed than ever, I looked in the closet and there's that jacket. I, we talked about everything in my life comes around. Yeah. The goddamn jacket. I looked at it, I'm like, shit, I'm just like my dad. I am a liar, I'm a cheater. I'm a back-end seller, overseller, manipulator to the person who I love the most since I've been in the fourth grade. The person I dreamed about being, and I'm sitting here, 
And I sat down and outlined literally values, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and how I was gonna live an inspired life because I was empty. I was on empty and everyone thought I was full. Everyone thought I was the kid, like Midas. Two years after that, not only had I healed and healed my relationship and proven myself back to my wife, but I lost everything two years later. I'm not one of those guys, over $100 million. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those guys that bottomed out because I lost everything. I bottomed out because I was about to lose everything, which was, and I was my best friend, my wife, like my pride, my care, like all the things I talked about, you know, my character was toughness, telephone, right? And raising money are my gifts. I was literally, I become an entitled little, I, I made fun of the kids that lived on the hill, right? And I'm like, yeah, you were bored on for third base and think you hit a home run. I'm, I'm gonna do it myself. Like this is what drove me and I turned into nothing. And I learned then to be something. And when I lost everything, it didn't even phase me. I knew it was so just going to say is, What do you think would have happened had you lost everything and you hadn't gone through that two year transformation? Like yeah, what die. state would die. you have been in? I would have died. I, I, I would have used drugs and drank and blamed every, been in blame, shame and justification, right? That, that I, I, luckily I don't think I could have gotten there just because of my wife and who surrounds me and, and what was going on. But many of my friends went through rehab, you know, including Lee, you know, like rehab and even died and, you know, sure. all these things that 2008 hit, a lot of people lost money. Mm. I just, I went on a journey, man. And I still, I'm on that journey, what I call the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, which I learned from playing football. People ask me, what's the closest you've come to your potential, Dave Meltzer? I said, for sure, football. Right, I said, everyone has a potential. I just, every day, I was one of those kids that carried a football with me. It was either in my backpack, in my thing. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't born like Ricky Williams or Marshall Falk, you know, or like I just didn't have that quantum nature to me, but I was so close to the best that I could be at that sport. And then when I applied it to what I was really born with, right, toughness, telephone, and ability to raise money, things just exploded and I started doing things the right way. The biggest shift though that I have, and this is where you know your sales guys, this is why I get the bigger stages and teach people this, is I literally shifted the paradigm of money. Money's still the most important thing to me. I'll still do knock on doors for that money, but money doesn't buy love or happiness, it allows me to shop. And I've learned to shop for the right things. I make room for everything I want, with productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. Productivity is how much value am I providing, which is what your business does, provides tons of value. Then, how accessible am I to other people? Phone, in-person, email, and media, radio, print, TV, and social media. And how am I accessing what I want? Am I asking, right? I am the Home Depot self-checkout. I ask people, this might make you guys laugh. I have one of the top coaching businesses. You know where a lot of my leads come from? People cold calling me or emailing me and me just turning around with an email going, hey, are you interested in my one-on-one -on -one coaching? Or do you know anybody that would be interested in my one-on-one -on -one coaching? One out of 10 spam emails come back and says, yeah, I'd be interested. Wow. That's a free lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, we say the same thing. So, um, you know, our guys are, they're kind of like player coaches. So um, the guys that run our, our teams, they run their own book of business and stuff like that. Well, they often find it hard to recruit new salespeople to manage their own account and, and help people be successful. And the smart ones have figured out that 
it's the same game. So when you're prospecting, when you're talking to people, it's, hey, I'm going to do a handful more of these in this neighborhood. We try to batch these pro uh, projects together. Who else could benefit from this? While I'm at it, there's a spot on our team. I'm looking for, do you know anybody that's like dynamic and looking for a pretty cool company that maybe isn't stoked on their job right now? And a lot of people are filling their teams through Customers. that. But imagine yep. just if yeah. you asked every time. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. just, it's just that idea of, man, there are millions of people that live here. Surely 20 of them would be good at this. That's no right. doubt. Well, I love your profession. Like I t even told my wife, she said, you know, if we ever got to hard times again, I, I got down to ground zero economically, and I told my wife, I'm getting laser focused on how to make money. Right? This is one of the businesses that if all I wanted to do was make money, that you would find new records in your business, right? New, I would build a team, I would sell myself, build a team, do all the things that are necessary to make the, the most money in a second, because th that business that you're in, everybody wins. Would you like to try? Hey, do, <laughs> do you know do, I can't let the invite. You know yeah, man. I can't let the invite. I'll tell you this: I probably could give it ten hours a week and do fine. I'm sure you can. Saturdays. That's all you exactly. need. Saturdays. Well, so you talk about that. I teach my son toughness, telephone, and, and raising money, and I teach my daughters as well. One of the things I do, I literally, and I stole it from Gary a little bit. Uh, I live in an affluent area, so I look to see when the garage sales are in my affluent area, and I'll pick one on a weekend. And I'll take my son right when it closes because I want to teach him. I want to teach him what we know, right? I said, watch this. You go there and I pick the most expensive item that they're selling in this affluent area. And I know one thing about that lady that's selling it. She doesn't want to put it back in her garage. She's done. She wants to give it away on Craigslist. Yeah. And she doesn't want to deal with some stranger coming to the house. And so I walk up and I say, hey, I live in your neighborhood. I really, really want that for my son or daughter, whatever is applicable. And I go... Are you going to sell that again? Are you, you know, can I have it? I'll get it off your hands for you. Very high percentage of the time. I hate statistics because the only statistics I know true is 99% of statistics are made up. Right. Mm -hmm. But a high percentage of the time, she's like, take it. And it's then we sell the it on eBay. Nine a.m. That thing's three hundred bucks. It's, it's not a cheap yeah. item. Right? It's the most expensive item. And then. It's a negotiation after that if she says, no, I'm like, all right, I'll give you $20. Like something, right? Mm -hmm. And even a higher percentage of the time, they'll take 10 or $20. And it is sometimes over a $1,000 item, right, that I know that all I have to do is post it on eBay, but I'll have my kids do it and they get to keep the money. And so instead of sitting in the movie for two hours, which... I don't find very valuable in a relationship for kids who play video games and do other things to sit in a movie theater on a weekend living in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Him and I are out with his mom's FUV right. collecting an item and then teach, he takes pictures of it, posts it, and he learns to ask, right? And then he gets the money. You're, sorry, your relationship with your wife is interesting to me um, because I, I can't remember which podcast I heard this on, but you speak the way you speak about her now is different than you described at one point in your life. Uh, <laughs> and maybe just talk about that, because I, I understand the idea that, okay, I had one fun night. Yeah, I should have told you the truth, but you're going to leave. I provided all this. I worked so hard. That's such a male thing, too. It's just appreciation, like being a provider. But maybe talk about how you got there, because if I remember correctly, that was something you had to work on. You had to shift your perspective on your wife. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, my relationship with my wife didn't change overnight. You know, I love talking about the relationship because 52 years old, 23 years into marriage, there's no doubt. I don't have to talk about my wife. People just see it, 
right? People are jealous of my relationship. One of the guys that entered Edwin, or Yave, uh, Teddy and Edwin, Teddy Bellencamp from the Housewives, he does, he's, he has a security business and he's transferring to solar too. Oh, right. Right? And so we were out with them and they're 10 years married. Now she was pregnant and they are so much like me and my wife were when we were at 10 years of marriage. And my wife said, oh, Dave and I have probably been in three arguments in the last 13 years. And she's like, oh my God, I need to know the secret. I said, well, before we get you know, outside of reality, ask her how many arguments we had a day in our first 10 years of right. marriage, mm -hmm. right? Because I was a trader, not in tra a trader sense that I wasn't loyal to her. I was trading everything that I had. So anything I did for her, I wanted something back. Any, like, there's always something. In a trader, not a trader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, I literally could not give unconditionally. My wife was an unconditional giver. My mom was an unconditional giver. They, they had the ability to be pure. In fact, when I got my first paycheck from Lee after claiming bankruptcy, I told my wife that I was gonna give a portion of it to the Crescent Moon Foundation, Warren's charity, to give a scholarship to a kid from my high school and my wife's high school, who went to the same high school, to go to college, because I couldn't have gone to college without scholarships, my siblings, and I was scared to tell her. And when I told her, she started to cry. And I was like, what? She goes, oh my God, you finally get it. And that just to show you like the type of person she is. And I was like, I do get it. I trust the universe. And I wasn't trading anymore. I wasn't giving to get, which is always how I gave to charity. Oh, the more I give, the more I get. And I thought it was so philanthropic and such a humanitarian. I wasn't, I was trading. Now, I, she said to me, she goes, oh, you double it. I was like, not a chance. I don't trust the universe that much. <laughs> but I had learned to earn my wife's respect. She presented me the opportunities that I took advantage of, it's like to watch the movie The Secret. I'm in the new movie Secret. I'm on the Transformational Leadership Council. I grabbed a hold of the opportunity that she gave me to learn what she was good at. I was always looking for the wrong things in my wife. I always tell guys, look, if you think your wife's a B word, that's what you're gonna get. If you think your wife's a queen, that's what you're gonna get. If you're driving home going, I'm so busted, you're gonna be busted. If you walk, drive home and go, my wife's so appreciative of the effort that I'm giving for my family, and she's gonna be super happy to see me, that's what you're gonna get. And I started, not only in my relationship with my uh, wife, but in everything, I learned to find the light, the lessons, and the love in everything. I, pra I you hear my story about trash, have you ever heard that one? Because so. this is the basics of what you can do even in your business. I hated taking the trash out. I called it bad trash karma. Six kids, I don't know why my wife, my wife, my mom picked on me to take the trash out all the time. And because I hated trash, I would not treat it the right way. So if there was liquid in it, it would spill on me. If there was glass in it, it would cut me. I threw it too hard, then spilled it all over. I'd have to pick it all up and then there'd be nasty stuff in it. Then I go to college and think, cool, done taking trash out. I'm in a football fraternity, smallest football player. Guess, you think six kid trash is nasty? ATO trash is the nastiest thing I've ever seen. No offense, ATOs. Uh, literally, again, and then I get married and I have three daughters. Guess who's taking the trash out? I decide that I'm gonna find the light, love, and lessons in everything. That I'm gonna shift my perspective, this paradigm in my whole life. I know that I can learn to love everything. So I'd say to myself, how am I gonna love this? And I looked at the trash and I said, you know what? I'm so productive, accessible, and gracious in what I'm doing. I'm gonna use this time for me. From now on, the trash isn't taking the trash out, it's an escape. I'm gonna take it out and think of what I can do to make me happy. It's gonna be David time. 
So my whole energy changes about trash. I'm taking it out, not only at home, but at work and at my friend's house. My friend's wives are like, man, your husband's amazing, right? I actually think I got better looking to some of them. You know, they're like, here's the weird thing. I shifted my energy so much about taking out trash that my 17-year-old daughter, who taking the trash out is like kryptonite, right? That's what trash was to her. All of a sudden, because my energy changed to light love and lessons in it and enjoyed it, she's like, I'll take that out for you, Dad. This is how life changes simply energetically and perspective-wise. Mm -hmm. So if you're walking up to a door and you expect resistance, obstacles, voids, and shortages, you're looking for a way not to knock on a door, what do you think you're going to get from that customer? Yeah. There's a, we're all connected, and that's where I really teach people. I, pragmatically, I know all the techniques, right? People bond emotion for logical reasons. I can go down the whole list of stuff that I'll teach your guys on a stage, but what I'll really teach them is how to get them to open the door and just say, Oh yeah, sure, I understand. Yeah, you know those laydowns? There's a reason. It's because you're carrying the value energy. I'll use it personally when I go to a party. If I feel people aren't into Dave Meltzer, I'll leave, shift my energy. I Every morning wake up and envision my room full of $100 bills. And I imagine that we're just trading 100 for 20s. So I know what that feels like energetically. So I can carry it into what I'm doing. So people are like, shit, that guy lights it up. That guy brings it. That guy lights up a room. Because I'm carrying 120 energy. And that's what I did with my wife. And that's what I got for 13 years now. So you, I wanted to get back to, you say you, you lost over $100 million, right? Yeah. So we kind of like glossed over that. Like that's no small amount. No. Money. On um, paper. On paper too. My wife paper. always makes, make sure you tell us on paper. It wasn't in the bank. You're not that big of an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, where did it go? No. Right. <laughs> money doesn't disappear. Um, so obviously that's a major blow. Yeah. And... It doesn't happen overnight either. You're just sitting there one day realizing you've lost everything. Um, what was your mindset like at that point? And then how did you start kind of circling the wagons and saying, all right, like how do I, what's step one to sort of getting so I, back on the right I path? I had to deal again? with reality and truth. So I didn't tell anyone, right? So imagine two years before I'm worth over $100 million. I have a ski mountain, all, all these things. But I've been living my life the wrong way. And I'm trying to change my life and transform and grow. Everything you were touching was turned into gold, though, right? Yeah, and that's so, why Lee hired me, right? Because what better thing to tell athletes who 75% of them go bankrupt is, look at Midas over here. He's going to take care of your kids' finances. Now, I had so much pressure on me because I knew I was going bankrupt. My wife didn't even know. So you saw it in advance. Yeah, probably, I would say, I started dealing with the fact that I might go bankrupt nine months before I had to claim it. Wow. Right? I was in a lawsuit, I, I, a big one, and, I, and then uh, we ended up losing a judgment, and then I had to sue for malpractice, and in the midst of, and, and, I mean, when you're, move, when you're moving money like How that. How old are you at this point? So 2007 is almost uh, 40, 39. Ago. I was 39. So, but I'm moving money, like 33 homes, condo conversions, ski mountain. Golf course was worth over $100 million by itself. You know, I, I was moving money, stocks. You know, the, it's all moving, and I'm in a lawsuit and just paying millions. I'm liquid, but I think I can just go to the bank and grab a quick five, right? I'm at least 40 in equity uh, that's clear. You know, the, but the economy, I, I don't ask for help. I don't really have a financial planner. I'm Midas. Nine months out of law school, I'm a millionaire. Money's me, right? This is just perspective. you literally an idiot. And I go to my private bank, I'm like, hey, I need two million, I got bills to pay. And they're like, nah, 
I said, what do you mean, nah? <laughs> yeah, we're not letting people borrow money against property right now. Things aren't going well for the bank, and we'd rather hold on to the security. And then I'm going shopping that, and then bills are coming up, and all of a sudden I miss a payment. Right now, nobody wants to give you money, and those bills keep coming, and the pressure. So I'm in this, and I'm lying to my wife, but still trying to be, I'm not really lying, I'm omitting. Fine. Yeah. And then I have to tell the truth to her. So that was about six months out because, you know, the lawsuits and everything. And then I have to prepare her and tell her the truth. The worst is going in to Lee Steinberg. I thought that'd be the worst. And telling him, hey, Midas, the one that you're showing off to all these athletes that we're not going <laughs> to lose their money, I'm bankrupt. And he was super cool. <laughs> Warren was super cool. But then I realized the worst, my mom. Not because I thought my mom you know, would be angry at me. I, I, I literally, the disappointment and the Jewish guilt and all those things, but worse, I lost my mom's house because I never took it out of her. It's the first house that I bought, right? And I'm not very savvy at 24 years old, so I had it in my name. And my mom wanted it in my name in case she passed or whatever, right? But I forgot about that, and so I had to go tell her she was moving. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so... That caused one day of depression, and that's when I became a serious Rocky fan. I love the movie Rocky and Rudy, um, but I remember lying there thinking, God, the last two years I've been doing everything right. God, why are you doing this to me? I was still like a victim, you know, and I'm like, oh, just focusing on the wrong things. I'm trying to take myself out, but it's a huge blow. Like, they're literally, I'm moving out of my house. We're moving into a rented, when I, my wife told me to, to write that check, right, that story, we were in a rented house with rented furniture in one car, three little girls under 10 and a pregnant wife with my son. That's the situation, and I'm sitting there, literally before that time, just going, what did I do? And I wasn't, I was just down. And one day, and then Rocky came on, and I'm lying in bed, it's like four in the afternoon, tears in my eyes, trying to figure, what I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna tell Lee, how I'm gonna tell my mom, you know, all this stuff. And my, my wife, is she gonna leave me? Like, this is the things in my head. And then there was Rocky, and he was getting his ass beat, right, boom. And he just kept getting up, getting up. And I love that movie, and it just clicked in my head. I just like, shit, if I can look up, I can get up. But come on, man, you were a millionaire nine months. I started like giving myself the speech, going, I knew nobody, I had law loans. I. I know how to sell. I'm gonna go and I start, I'm gonna make a plan. I'm gonna go talk to everybody that I know that's rich and ask them what they want and I'm gonna go get it and create a margin. And two weeks after I claimed bankruptcy, I made my first million dollars. Two weeks. Because I got laser focused. I got so confident after that Rocky that my wife was scared. She's like, you know, are you okay? Because I wasn't worried anymore. It's like, what are you talking, you're not worried at all? I'm like, nah. I've done this before. It took me nine months. It's not going to take me that long. I'll get us out of this. I promise you. I know how to make money. At least I know how to do that. Yeah. And I did. I picture you like running the stairs in front of your house. Like, are you okay? Just, <laughs> I need to do this. Which, exactly. which Rocky was it? One. The, the, original. the original. And then you got to see the Rocky story about how he made the movie Rocky and how to sell his dog yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's That's amazing, right? Yeah. I'm like, I wish I would have seen that story. I don't even care about dogs. And for me, at that, that point, I'm like, oh, 
the dog. <laughs> like that exactly. story is better than the movie. I think so. Too. It really the Rudy, is. The Rudy making of Rudy. Watch my podcast with Rudy Rudiger. It's better than the, in the movie Rudy. Although I'll tell you, my favorite kid comes in here, tells me, Mr. Melcher, I want to work here worse than anything. I said, no, nah, you're not going to make it. I, you know, you got 90 days. I'm, I'm on kind of your combine plan, but it's yeah, 90 yeah. days. I said, look, I just got to tell you, you're entitled. You're not going to work here. You're not living by gratitude, accountability, inspiration, and forgiveness. You, you don't got it, man. You got to work here. You got to treat this like Rudy wanted to play at Notre Dame. Not like this is a hobby. Right? And he looks at me and he goes, who's Rudy? Like this? I'm like, get out. <laughs> That's like, will, talk get, about vibrating weird, right? Oh, like, oh, <laughs> I hate being old. But then the kid showed up. He went home, watched Rudy. It's the, it's the screensaver. He's 5.30 in the morning. He's waiting at my door. Been there every day since. The guy treats this job like Rudy, and he's gonna get an offer. Cool. Click like this. Awesome. Have you ever heard how? I heard a story. One of the Sports Center guys talked about how he got hired. I can't even remember who it was now, but in his interview, the first question they asked him with is, he said, "They just asked me. They said break down um, each division of the AL right now, where every team's at, and I want to hear about what's going on with each team in every division." So he had to go through the AL East, AL Central, AL whatever. Like he had to break, oh and he had no God. idea what questions were coming. Probably Dan Patrick. And, um, <laughs> but he said they. The point is, they want. They only want people that are passionate about what their product is, right? So, um, super cool. Dan Patrick. Imagine this. So he played basketball at University of Dayton, which is fairly good. But in his fraternity, this is how passionate he is about sports and how he was just born to do what he did. You couldn't leave the fraternity party unless you could stump them with a sports question. <laughs> I'm like, probably didn't have many girls, Dan. I'm like, probably didn't get many girls. <laughs> That's how out of I'm like, how do you, and you guys are sports guys, right? But I'm like, how do you pick it up? How do you have time to download it? How do you, but it just kind of stays in. It goes in and stays yeah. in. Right. You can walk by and you pick up three facts about the day and like, God, how do you know that? That's right. It, although it can screw you up too. I did a podcast with Maria Bartiromo, who I love. She's the first woman on Wall Street, you know, for CNBC originally. Now she has the huge Fox show. But I heard Eddie DeBartolo before I got into the interview. And I've, I've watched this lady for hours and hours and I messed up her name. I was like, oh, you know, Maria Bartiromo. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, like Eddie. Eddie. It's a hard so, life. Exactly. Man. I pick. Uh, see, sometimes it works against you. Well, how many times have you been called Metzler, not Meltzer? Oh. You can't even. Worse is well, Metzger. There's a, there's you know a, who Metzger is. Well, there's a great author, right? Yeah, Brad so, Meltzer. Yeah. And then there, the worst is Metzger because. Uh, Metzger was the grand wizard of the KKK. Oh, so gosh. when somebody messed up Meltzer with Metzger, my mom's like, oi, oi, oi. My rabbi brother's like, so you've, uh, talked you got to go back about... to the Christmas carols. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'll sing. Talk, <laughs> Make some extra cash. About... That's how I made my second million. <laughs> the Christmas carols. I told my wife, don't worry, Christmas is coming. Mm -hmm. I got a quick million. Yeah. You show up with your... Um, I wanted to ask you, before, sorry Ty, um, so you've had the opportunity to, switching gears a little bit to what you're doing now, Yeah. Um, you've had an opportunity to meet some incredible people, right? Um, I know Warren Moon, and a former NFL quarterback, your business partner. Former Hall of Fame quarterback. Former Hall of Fame, Even better, yeah. Hall of Fame quarterback, <laughs> rocket arm. Outside of him, who's been someone that you've been able to interview or spend time with? that has really made an impression on you, um, whether it's from ath the athletic world or even otherwise? Uh, like Sugar Ray Leonard, 
uh, is one of those who I didn't represent. Like he walked away going, that just changed me. Yeah, you know? Ray Lewis, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marshall Falk, uh, Tony Gwynn, who has passed, mm. uh, some of those. Uh, but a lot of business people as well, like Dave McCourt, Tillman Fertitta, uh, were incredible. There's a guy who owns part of the Phoenix Suns um, who's down in San Diego. Of course, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he did Safe Skin. <laughs> Close friend, I can't remember his name, <laughs> go through the names. But I, literally, I am so blessed because I feel like Napoleon Hill, which Think and Grow Rich is one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. of, uh, yeah. movies. Think and Grow Rich, I'm in the Think and Grow Rich legacy movie, but it's my favorite book of all times. I still read it every day. I read The Course of Miracles every day. I read Think and Grow Rich every day. Two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. But literally, I feel like Napoleon Hill. I get to... Even you guys, right? This is my daily activity. I was down in San Diego with Michael Lane. I, you know, all, every day I'm just surrounded with people, and I've learned to be more interested and learn things about people's business, and then leverage that to help other people. It's an extraordinary life that I get to leave. I would, I joke around. I want to come back as my nine-year-old son. I, I really don't. I am living my best life, the best I can. Well, you wouldn't be where you are today without all your experiences, right? So. Very true. And I think that good leaders are really good students. And so, you know, there, there could be another person that has access to all those people that doesn't feel the same way as you. I think when you have the, the opportunity to, to consciously live and say, what can I make out of this? Why did this just happen to me? What can I do with it? You start to get lessons from everybody. Like one of the things I learn a lot from our sales reps and I've been doing this for 17 years. Some of them have been doing it for 17 days and I'll hear <laughs> something and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that's better. But well, sales is always evolving. That too. humility, though, Ty, or most people don't have it. Like, There's a humility I mean? of like, I, I do it all the time in here, like especially with the way the technology is changing the world, financial institutions, educational institutions, our social marketing and media. I'm listening all the time. Even my nine-year-old, you know, I'll ask him, hey, how do you do that? Right. Where I see a lot of guys my age not even interested. You know, and with TikTok, I had to push you know, my media guy to allow me to do TikTok because I'm with my 16-year-old daughter going, this is cool. I can motivate people. I'm not going to hit 87% of these people, yeah. but there's 13% of these people of the billions that are on here yeah. that are going to dig a quick seven-second video about it. So I started Time Hacks because I want people to utilize time in a better way. And I, through my experience, I have unbelievable Time Hacks. Yeah. Good one. Well, even your podcast, and for our listeners who haven't heard it, um, it, it's awesome because it doesn't take much time. Like, you know, uh, we knocked one out. Uh, we're in Santa Ana. We're in Irvine now. We knock one out in between. Um, I like a lot of the stuff Rogan does. I just don't have three and a half hours for a podcast. Yeah, I just listen to the clip side of yeah. it because I like what he does too. That's right. And it's interesting because I do find that people waste time. And Bob Proctor, who's one of my mentors, most people probably watching this wouldn't know who he was. Oh, but secret, yeah, yeah, but Jack unbelievable. Canfield. Canfield, those are all my friends, right? my yeah. mentors. But Bob Proctor gave me a great piece of advice. I said, you know, I try to get my phone calls as fast as I can, my meetings and interviews as fast as I can, all of that. And he said, yeah, because Dave, after five minutes on a phone call, you're just visiting. So why not just schedule visiting time with somebody? I see so much time wasted and it clicked in my head, this is years ago. I was like, I'm gonna stop visiting with people that I don't wanna visit with. Yeah. If we're here to make money, then let's make money, but I'll go home and visit with my family or visit with my old friends or whoever it is. But visiting times for visiting for me, and I've really stuck by that 520 rule and changed my life. Five minute phone calls, imagine every hour I can get 12 phone calls in. 
And most people won't do that in a week of right. productive phone calls. I will. And I'm very quantitative in my way. I believe that there's subjective value in everything and that people don't focus in on what they're really trying to do, which is quantitative value. I'm into profit. When I coach people, it's month to month and I guarantee profit. I'm a profit center for people. We can, there'll be plenty of subjective value and you'll learn stuff that help with your marriage or your health or those are all subjective, but I'm really guiding it to how can I help you make more money because money is the currency of this vibration and it allows you to shop and the more money you have, forget what you think of Jeff Bezos, he has more impact than all three of us probably will ever have on earth by giving $10 billion to the climate, right? That's just the truth because money is the currency of this vibration. And I understand walking the streets of Calcutta giving away food and helping people. That's terrific. But I would rather make a shitload of money and hire 100 Mother Teresas. I'll have a lot more impact. This is just the way my math. And I don't think it's selfish to say that because money comes through me for others. I drive a Chevy Volt. Right, that's not my roles. That's the guy with the ego that's 34 years old that runs the mortgage company. I've been there before, and I'm glad that he's learning that lesson. I've already learned that lesson. You know? Yeah, the uh, interesting thing is, as you said, five minutes. I did a thing um, a couple years ago where I just, we, we're in sales leadership, so a lot of our time is spent. It's hard to draw a line between visiting and productive time with somebody. And you don't want people to feel like, okay, you got your time, I got to go off. Like, you, they want a connection. But I noticed that at the end of the day, I'd come home and I was drained and I still had a long list of people to call. So I'd be there with my kids and then my wife would go to bed and then I'd be like, all right, time to start the night shift. And I would just let people stick a syringe in me and like suck all my energy out and shoot it on the concrete. From the hot tub. From the hot tub. I, I take my calls in the hot tub. Nice. That's one efficiency. <laughs> that's but great overlap. That's a it's funny though, because you, you can hear it yeah. sometimes. That's and they're okay. like, are you in the tub right now? I'm like, yeah. Back to, anyway. The, uh, but one There's the best lesson of this whole yeah. podcast. Take your calls <laughs> in the hot tub. Stressful calls belong in the hot tub with the fruit. And if you drink. make it a time machine hot tub, even better. That's right. <laughs> so, but one thing I did is I was like, hey, I got to limit my calls to 20 minutes. Right, I'm hearing now, maybe I could do that in 10, but just doing that, I tripled the amount of people that I could reach. So I really hope people take um, stock and say, hey, what things am I doing inefficiently? Because we think I'm working hard, I'm giving of myself, I'm working 12, 14 hours a day, but really, how efficient are they being? How many days are there that fit within that day? And practice being efficient, right? All the things that we discuss, one of the things I give people a mindset of is it's all practice. You're gonna learn lessons, you're gonna forget lessons, but you're only going to live lessons. And so just practice what we're talking about. Is as much as I practice, I'm still a big hypocrite. Last night, I took a call I shouldn't have taken. Initially, the guy called me and I said, with wifey. Because I was about to have dinner with my family and I made the huge mistake, and you guys are in sales, you'll get it. Mm. I literally, he said, well, we had a 5.30, and I should have just said, sorry, we'll do it at 7.30 when my kid goes to baseball practice and my wife goes up to do what she does. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm like, okay, call me. And then I put the one earpiece in, my wife's on this side of me, and I tried to do the whole pretend like I'm engaged. Yeah. And so when I got back home, which was normally my research time, whatever, and my wife sees me back on the laptop at the time I'm supposed to be on the laptop that I should have taken the phone call. She's like, you're not present. I went to dinner, you ruined the whole dinner, you're not even there, right? And I may, I'm, I'm teaching this stuff to people sure. and once again I just told myself, forgive yourself, tell her, you know what, you're absolutely right, I made a mistake. And that's that little lesson of being able to illuminate that 
hey, that's where my marriage got really good because that's where I always would project and be like, are you kidding me? I've worked 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. you, who do you think's paying for dinner? How do you like, think these bills get paid? I was yeah. an idiot. Instead, <laughs> yeah. I literally put my hand on you know her face right there and just like, I am so sorry. Like you're at, I knew I shouldn't have taken the call and I'm telling you, when I'm doing it, it ruined my day. Like I, I waited the whole day to have that time with you and I made a huge mistake. Can you help me next time and just remind me if I'm on? Just force me to get off, I won't get mad at you. And all of a sudden, there's this even a stronger bond, and it made up for screwing up dinner. Mm -hmm. People don't do that. Smart. That's really powerful, man. Well, thank you for spending time, man. This has been, I, I love like listening to your stuff because it is just this cyclone, and I'm like, I hope people could write fast enough. Because <laughs> yeah. you always have these three things, it's this, 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 so we'll have to re-listen a couple times, but uh, I'm sure this isn't the end of our time together. We, I hope we not. live close, we work close, and we've been inspired by you today, so thank That's you for joining stuff, us. Man. Yeah, I want to do more with you guys. Need anything, any help, just let me know. I'm literally absurd. I elevate others to elevate myself, so thank you for having me. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.